Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. After hitting rock bottom in his early 20s, entrepreneur Jim Cox dropped out of the corporate rat race to find a better path, one with more freedom, wealth and fulfilment. And in his new book, Build, Excite, Ignite, Jim unpacks his knowledge to provide a practical guide for anyone looking to break free from the grind. He joins us today to share some tangible advice on mindset, finding your niche and how to create a compelling business. Jim, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. No problems. Thank you for having me, Seth. Great to meet you. Ah, lovely. My pleasure to have you on the show. So can we get started by um, just having a little bit of a chat with you about uh, your journey? Because you were a performer originally and then you went from that to studying an MBA. How did, how did that come about? Uh, great question. I think that, uh, look, my life as a performer gave me a lot of insight in terms of working with people and, you know, being uh, that sort of influencer, I guess, of a person. Uh, I really enjoyed supporting people to make an impact and helping them grow and obviously entertaining at the same time. And I'm sure you would agree that that's a large part of business is, is uh, connecting with people on different levels. So moving into the MBA, I, I kind of got to a point in my career, I guess, as a dancer where the, the sort of 30s came around and uh, I noticed that a lot of my uh, fellow dancers were starting to move on to other careers and so I decided to use the other side of the brain and, and jump into business. That's no mean feat, going from performer to an MBA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it a steep learning curve? Uh, I Look, I was incredibly lucky that my father had actually, uh, I, I was following him in his footsteps technically. So my father was a electronic engineer. He'd jumped into his own business when he uh, first left uni way back when. So I think a large part of that business acumen and excitement about business and startup was, was already sort of part of me. So it, it sort of seemed like the next uh, logical step. So in the book, you talk a bit about um, hitting rock bottom and that kind of being the impetus to, to change. Can you talk us through that a little? Yeah, I, it was interesting and I think it actually lends to my, my performing career where I was very lucky to be able to tra- travel the world, you know, work with some amazing companies, Disney, Warner Brothers, a whole bunch of different things, tour Australia and I think when I moved into the corporate space initially, I found that that nine to five, Monday to Friday lifestyle didn't really fit into what I wanted my life to look like. So I think like many of your listeners, I'm sure I, I had a thirst for that freedom again, which is what kind of, uh, it, it hindered me at first, to be completely honest. I, I looked at very unresourceful habits to get through my day in corporate, so you know, alcohol partying, you name it, the, the the countless ways that, you know, we unresourcefully look to to blank out, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. And essentially just came to a point in my life where I was like, look, enough is enough. I, I know that I want life to be more than this. So uh, very lucky that I have supportive parents that picked me up in a, in a red van, drove all the way from Melbourne to Sydney to come grab me and bring me home. Uh, spent about six months in bed working out what was next. There was there was a lot of Netflix watched over that period. And that sort of gave me the momentum, I guess, to step into the business world and then go, hey, look, you know, it's time to carve my own path. 
So how do you go from that, you know, feeling pretty desperate and desolate to then picking yourself back up and ultimately creating a very successful business? What was that trajectory like? Yeah, look, it was a challenge and, and I definitely will say that it wasn't the first attempt at business. I'd attempted to start up a supplement business. Uh, I'd attempted to be a personal trainer. I'd looked at opening an online store for local artists and creative to sell their works and, and all of those projects throughout my corporate life kind of bombed as side hustles. But I think that the pivotal point for me with this was that I just had enough with uh, running that rat race. I really committed to myself that I didn't want to be at that low point again. And it was about finding a a career, if you can call it that, something that fit around my lifestyle as opposed to, you know, living to work. I wanted to work to live is what I always like to say. So I think that was the trajectory. And, and obviously incredibly lucky that I had found myself a really fantastic coach that kind of helped me shed the light on what life could look like, which which just drove me even further to get there. Hmm. So you've recently put down all these experiences into a book called Build, Excite, Ignite. So yes. why? Why was it time for you to write it all down and get it out there into the world? Uh, I would say part of it was self-help. I think I, I, as entrepreneurs, I don't think we acknowledge ourselves enough. And I think part of it for me was to cleanse that chapter of my life, so to speak, and go, hey, look, you know, I've been through some stuff, but this is where I am now. The The most crucial part of it, though, which is mainly why I share my story, is I want everybody else out there to know that they can do the same thing. And when we look at the amount of startups that fail, you know, not just in Australia, but globally, uh, the amount of people that I work with that kind of feel like they're on their own when they're at that precipice of stepping into startup. Uh, this was a really beautiful way, I think, for me to share some amazing tools and resources and activities that people can do so that they can step out of the world that they're in if it's not the world they want to be in and and start to create something that's really going to help, them move, help move them forward. Uh, at a really cost-effective price. So obviously the cost of a book is very different to the cost of coaching or counselling or support that you would get elsewhere. Mm. So you spoke a little bit about the rate of failure with startups and small businesses just then. But Mm. um, failing a lot of, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs uh, and failure can often be the making of them and their business as long as you the right way. So um, and you've kind of mentioned it as well in the book, you talk about failing up. So just for our listeners' purposes, what what do you mean by failing up and how is that a beneficial thing for a business? Yeah, look, it, I think it was something that actually drove me in those those moments on the couch watching Netflix that if I'm not trying and I'm not failing, then I'm failing anyway. So I think that that is a really big part of it. And And like I mentioned, I mean, I had previous failed businesses prior to this one. And the knowledge and the experience from starting those businesses is what supported me to make this business a success. So I, I think that, you know, 80% of starting a successful business is mindset. We we can tend to be our own worst enemy sometimes. So I really believe that, you know, embracing failure, seeing it as a way of growth uh, is a beautiful way to help you move yourself forward faster. Mm. So, as you said, you had um, quite a few businesses that didn't really work out the way you wanted them to uh, in the beginning. But mm. what is it you think then 
makes a bit a business a success like what makes one business work and another not work if they're kind of very similar service propositions for example uh, I think it to be honest and and I do a lot of this work with with the people that I work with uh you know that that are in that startup mode I think a lot of it comes back to the the why behind the business if you are willing to put yourself into a position where this is the only option because you're so passionate about it, I think it eliminates the overwhelm. It eliminates the, you know, hey, this is too hard. I'm just going to go back and do something else. And and I, I really believe that I think that's what happened on my journey as well is, you know, it was go back to corporate life that that almost destroyed me or make this thing work. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that sort of rock and a hard place situation definitely helps. Obviously, I'm not recommending to your listeners to quit their full-time jobs if they need a stable income, but uh, putting myself in that position really drove me to succeed. Mm. Do, do you think there is anything particularly that holds people back from success, like you spoke about mindset a second ago? Yeah, uh, look, I believe the... There's there's a plethora of things, but I think probably one of the the biggest is probably comparisonitis. I I really believe that a lot of people look to people ahead of them and go, hey, you know, they're so far ahead of me. How can I catch up? I think that's a really big part of it. And and believing that you can run your own race is incredibly important. You know, they didn't. No one becomes an overnight success. There's always something there in the background that that got them to where they want to be. But but hands down, I really think it's it's belief in self as well. You know, can I really do this? Uh, are the people around me that are talking to me about, you know, the, the negative side of things like, hey, this isn't going to work? You know, do I really need to listen to them? Uh, I think that's a really big part of it as well. You know, especially in the coaching industry, a lot of a lot of people that I talk to go, hey, look, you know, all my mates think this coaching thing's a joke and there's so many coaches around. How can I succeed at this? But what they don't realize is that these people haven't walked the walk. So, you know, I, I like to consider them the people in the cheap seats. If they haven't attempted to run a business and run the type of business that you want to run, then they don't have a say in in what you uh, are doing moving forward. Hmm. So there can be a lot of kind of negative influences on the outside. Anecdotally, quite often the biggest negative voice is yourself, you know, people, definitely. so many people with imposter syndrome, like how do we combat that if the worst critic is actually me? <laughs> yeah, totally. Look, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, we, we talk about that external and internal and, and a lot of the time people that I talk to almost create the external. So one of the first questions that I usually ask when that negative self-talk comes up of, you know, what oh, people say this, people say that, is like, well, you know, have, have people actually said that to you or is that just something you assume they're thinking? And and usually it's the latter. Uh, when it comes to imposter syndrome, I think that the, the the best success that I've had, not just with myself, but working with with other business owners as well, is is not to ignore it. I think it's really important to acknowledge it and, and thank that part of your brain or your subconscious, whatever you want to believe it is. Uh, you know, thank that part of yourself for trying to protect you but but understand that that's really all it's doing and protection doesn't necessarily mean growth. So, you know, we, we experience some of our best transformations and best moments in life when we push ourselves outside our comfort zone and the, the imposter in us is not allowing us to do that. 
Mm. But that can require quite a big mindset shift. So are are there any kind of strategies that you find particularly effective to help people, you know, make the leap? Yeah, look, I think a big part of it obviously is you need to work on your own stuff, whatever that looks like, whether it is personal or professional things in your past that are holding you back and clearing those blocks. But I think another really large part of it, which studies have shown obviously help people, is looking for evidence. So, you know, we're we're hardwired to look for the negative and, and look for what could go wrong. But I really think it's about training your brain to look for what could go right you know, see those people that have come before you or those successful entrepreneurs, you know, they've all started somewhere. And I think the more you show yourself the evidence that this is possible, the the easier it is to support that, that mindset shift of moving forward. Mm. So let's go back to the book a bit because a lot of the book is also about that um, creating success and you know Mm. how you build a business that's going to excite you and you'll be passionate about and that that will grow into the future so what is your number one tip if I'm starting out on my business like I guess I'm trying to get get to the angle of um, the niche stuff you talk a lot about nailing your niche and that being crucial like often people think very broadly when they're starting a business they want to appeal to everyone that's not necessarily always the the best thing to do. Yes. So how would you suggest someone find their niche? Uh, Look, the the best advice I was ever given was to say yes and work it out later. (laughs) Uh, I I I think that, um, you know, when you're in that startup mode, while some people do have a very clear direction, exactly like you've said, a lot of people become generalists because they – they, they decide, you know, whether they've just come out of a course or they've just realized this new direction that they want to take based on their experience. They go, wow, you know, I want to help anybody and everybody that I can possibly lay my hands on. And, and the problem with that is that people don't see you as a specialist for them because you don't specialize in working. You know, you're not telling people that you specialize in working with them specifically. Uh, having said that, you know, the beautiful thing about a niche is it's never set in stone. So, Yes, while you can work on your message and your marketing, your business grows and evolves just as much as you do. And, you know, to, to give a fantastic example for, for those listening in, I was in Tokyo recently talking to a business owner uh, as part of a mastermind that I'm in. And, and this gentleman is, uh, I think he said roughly he's doing about $30 million a year in his practice. Uh, and one of the first things that he said to me was, hey, Jim, I hear you're really good at niche. I need some help. Can we have a chat? So, you know, if, if the, the $30 million business owners need to work on niche, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a great example for everybody <laughs> to just understand that, that, that while we can narrow down and focus, it's, it's not concrete. It can be changed. And I think that's the beautiful thing about having your own company is you can do that whenever you feel like you need to. Mm. So how could we identify targets then? Uh, great question. I, I think it comes down to understanding really clearly who you specifically want to work with that's going to light you up every single day. And I know that that sounds a little bit fluffy, but a question I always like to ask people is if the perfect person you know, rang you right now or knocked on the door and said, hey, I want to work with you, who are they? And I think a lot of the time where 
scared to imagine this could be my Disney days, but you know, it, it, it's really coming down and choosing that perfect ideal client that you want to hang out with all the time. It might be someone completely fictitious. It might be someone that you've worked with previously, but having an idea of a tangible character in your head, I think really supports you with your marketing, with your social media content, with the message that you're putting out there, because for you, you feel like you're just talking to one person, whereas really you're talking to an entire audience that connects with that person. Hmm. So you've identified who who your your ideal client is, who you're targeting. How how can you make sure that what you're offering them is something that they really need that you know that they're going to find irresistible? Uh, you ask them. And I know that that sounds a bit simple, <laughs> but, but again, but again, I think it's that it's it's almost that reverse process where a lot of people go right before I launch a business, I need to have my product right, I need to have my pricing right, I need the outline, I need it written, and and, and time and time again, I talk to people that come to me for support and go, Jim, you know, I've I've written this six month program, it's fantastic, but no one's buying it, and they haven't done any market research, they haven't spoken to people that they want to work with to find out if it's actually something that they need. So it, it goes back to that say yes and work it out later. I think the best thing that you can do when you're in startup mode is is just have conversations with people. Uh, ask them what do they think they need to move forward? You know, what are their goals for the future? How do you fit into that picture? And I think it just simplifies the entire process because you go from playing a guessing game to actually getting tangible uh, research and feedback that you can utilize to grow as mm. a as a business owner. And what about for you? Do you have someone that that coaches you that helps you with that side of things as well? Definitely, multiple people. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I'm very lucky. Look, I I believe that that you've got to walk your talk. You know, I expect people to to work with me as a coach, so I need to have a coach as well. So I've you know I, I work with someone quite closely that has a team, and and I love interacting and engaging with them. But what I've learned time and time again is that a very large part of it comes down to uh, your support network. So surrounding yourself with the people that you want to become or the people that are a couple of steps ahead of you, which is why I think, uh, the community that's been built around, you know, the book and the, the programs that we run, uh, I, I sometimes get to step back as the coach because the, the community help each other. And I, and I think that's a really, really beautiful thing to watch. Mm. Is coaching everything you expected it would be? Uh, everything and more. It was interesting that I loved leadership. I, I worked in a lot of, you know, sort of high level corporate roles throughout my career and, uh, you know, worked as a trainer and a teacher and all that sort of thing as well. And like many people, I didn't actually understand what coaching was and hadn't discovered it yet. So I think the beautiful thing for me about finding coaching was that it was everything I loved about my previous jobs without the policy writing and performance management and all the stuff I didn't enjoy. Uh, <laughs> so, no, look, I think it's opened a lot of doors. It allows me to support a lot of people, but I get to do it uh, from a place of freedom and flexibility and fun and, and really enjoy it every single day. Mm. And what were those first few clients like? Is there a, a massive difference between how you you first approached coaching and what you used to teach people <laughs> to what you do now? 
Definitely. So I, I still remember it vividly and I, I actually use this example when I'm uh, training new coaches because I'm, I'm an ICF certified trainer as well. But it's uh, it's it's probably one of the scariest ones, but it does prepare people. My, my first client actually told me that if I didn't get on a phone call with them, they commit suicide. Oh. Um, and, and obviously incredibly serious at the time. And I was freaking out and wondering if I'd chosen the right path. But I think uh, a large part of it comes down to uh, curating the room. I think that was probably the best thing that I learned is, is not to, as you grow as a coach and a, and a business owner, you don't need to say yes to everybody. Uh, it's about, you know, the more that you refine that niche and the more that you clearly understand who you want to work with, you start to find uh, and qualify a lot better so that you can work with a much better community of clients. Mm. What was interesting then is you don't have to say yes to everybody because I think for a business owner there is that temptation that, you know, just just take the job or take whatever someone's offering because the economy's not great at the moment. You've got to get yeah. as much money in as you can. Like yeah. there's this mentality of hardship that's kind of driving a lot of people at the moment. How mm. can we shift that to, so that people go, actually, I can say no, I can put a value on what I do and I don't have to do everything. Yeah, look, I, I think a large part of it comes down to filling your cup and looking after yourself first. So I know pretty much, and, and I could probably, you know, narrow this down to about 90% of, of the people that I've hesitated when it's come to working with them. And then when it's come to, you know, actually working with them and the deliverables and, and also the results for them, it just hasn't worked out. So I think a large part of it comes down to that is, is if you don't feel it's right, you don't have to say yes, because, you know, they might not pay you if they don't get the result, they, they might, you know, the, the, the mental anguish that you get from working with that person way outweighs the, the money that you're going to make from them. And, and I think it goes back to that, that curating the room space as well. The, the more we've refined our client base, uh, especially as a community-based support network, uh, the better results we're seeing our clients get the better referrals we're able to attain and you know i mean we've been you know during a financial crisis we've been able to you know increase our pricing <laughs> so i think that that's the thing is that the, the people that really want to work with you and know that you have the result to offer uh will be willing to spend the money regardless of what's going on in the world it's it's just a matter of of finding that right that right pinpoint mm. so if I'm looking to sell my services, how do I make sure that I'm, you know, setting the right price to start with? But also, how do I make sure that when I'm selling someone something, which actually might be me because I'm a professional service person and, mm. and you know, I am my service. So yep. um, how do I make sure that the process kind of seems natural rather than forced and, you know, that that I'm having genuine connections with clients and it's a, a relationship that has give and take both ways. Yeah, sure. Look, I, I think the way that I like to look at price is it really is just a number. Uh, and the when it comes to trust and connection with a client, the cost of your services does equate in some shape or form to trust. So, you know, a, a $2 
you know, uh, a book as an example versus a $300 book without even knowing what's in the book, just by looking at the price point, you assume you're going to get more value from the higher priced item. Uh, so I think that there's a, a component of that that we need to look at, especially with a lot of startup business owners who are willing to reduce their prices to get their foot in the door. I think it's important to set a standard at some level uh, without outpricing yourself, obviously. On the the other point of, you know, how do I build that connection? I think that price needs to be the last thing that comes into play. So, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of putting pricing on a website as an example, especially as a service-based business owner because they haven't built that connection with you yet and they don't understand the rapport and the value they're actually going to get out of you purely by looking at a page on a website. So the way that, that we like to train the people that we work with, it's it's 100% about that potential client first. Where are they at? What do they need? What have they tried in the past? Uh, how can you support them to move forward? And I think once you've ticked off those boxes and you do understand that you can really clearly help them achieve a tangible result, then the investment comes into play. Mm. So what about my business is going really swimmingly? I've, I'm starting to scale. I'm taking on staff. How do I make sure that my business still, you know, has the the core purpose and focus and and the personal mm. touch that that I gave to it, that I'm still getting that with my staff. I mean, it's probably something that you've gone through yourself. Oh, time and time again. Look, I, I think that there's always an element of risk with this. Uh, you know, at, just like hiring anybody, you don't 100% know them until they start working in the role. The uh, I've been very lucky that because we've created an amazing community and the culture is fantastic. When I put a job roll up, I usually actually get clients uh, that put their hand up asking to work with us, um, which is fantastic because I've known them for a long period of time. Uh, I, I guess probably the the key learnings that that I've taken away, which which hopefully for, for the listeners will, will support them, is skills can be taught. I think it's more about finding that right culture fit is incredibly important. Having someone that is passionate about the work that you do, so it's not just a job, it's almost a mission, and and they want to come on board with that why and that mission for your business. Uh, And just understanding that from a skill set and KPI, you know, um, numbers point of view, that it, it will take time. But if you develop and nurture the right people, they'll they'll stick with you. Uh, for a long time so it, it, it's worth it yeah so what about the other end of the spectrum there now listeners who might just be starting out who might be thinking about you know giving the old nine to five a break and and mm-hmm. venturing out on their own starting a business what kind of advice would you have for them you don't need to do it all at once uh, my business cards and my website ended up in the recycling bin <laughs> I think the that the biggest thing that you can do is get out there and start networking and telling people what you do. Uh, another big thing that I notice with people is, you know, someone comes up to you and says, oh, how are you going? The first thing you do is talk about the job that you want to leave. So <laughs> I think it's about starting to really stand in that power of, hey, this is a new chapter for me. This is what's next. And and you never know what will happen when those conversations come up. But, but too often, I think, especially with everything that's being marketed online, 
um, you know, people think they need a, a CRM system and SEO and I've got to be on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, MySpace, you know, like it's just it, the, the, the overwhelm of all the stuff and all the noise I think is just deafening. But the, the real simplicity of just getting out there and sharing what you do and, and who you now want to work with and what your, what your why is, I think is is the crucial component to to really succeeding in that startup phase. Mm-hmm. Good old Simon Sinek. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the power of why. Love that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we're just about out of time, Jim. So just maybe one last thought from you. What do you kind of hope people take away from reading the book? Oh, look, I just think the biggest thing is that it's possible. Uh, really believe in progress, not perfection. Not everything needs to be perfect, and just, just, yeah, take take that leap. Stop holding yourself back. Uh, if you if you want things to be different, then you need to be willing to make them different. Mm. Yep, be the change. Be the change. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been a Thank pleasure you. talking to you today. Yes, you as well. Thank you very much.